Welcome to the Rent to Retirement Podcast, your resource for passive real estate investing and retirement strategies. If you're new to real estate or planning your financial future, you're in the right place. Join us at renttoretirement.com to find your path to financial freedom and an easy, carefree retirement. Enjoy the show. Hey, Rent to Retires, it's Adam Schrader here today, once again joined by Zach Lemaster, the founder and CEO of Rent to Retirement. And today we have a special guest with us. This is Andresa Gidelli. She is the co-founder and CEO of the Real Estate Invest Her community and co-host of the Real Estate Invest Her show, which is part of the Bigger Pockets podcast network. She's also a partner in Trailblazer, which is a real estate syndication inspired and led by women. Andresa, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Absolutely. Well, if you wouldn't mind just starting us out, the thing everybody wants to know when they talk to anybody in the real estate industry is, how did you get started and why have you stuck in the real estate business? You're right. We are stuck, right? We just get started and we never we never leave the, the, the industry. It wasn't a plan for me. And I don't think it's a plan for, for many people, right? My I was born and raised in Brazil and I came to the US for my master's degree. The plan was just to get the master's degree done and go back, get a job in a multinational company, build a family. We don't have white-picked fans over there, but you know, you have the, that, that picture. And one day uh, I was um, at a, uh, my job. I, I got a job here, a sales position job. And my manager at that time asked me to read a, a, this little purple book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I said, what is this about? What is real estate? I didn't even know the meaning of real estate. I had no idea people that were not born with silver spoon or in a wealthy family could own multiple houses. That was not even a concept. And, and I'm well-educated in Brazil. My family is well-educated. So that's not even a concept for us. And a week later, I was like, why didn't we learn this in school? What is this world that exists? Who are those people? Right? And then I started getting educated I pay for my education. I pay a lot for my education at the beginning. Don't regret that because I got that back on my first deal, which was a single family house, South Philadelphia, rehab the property, overpaid for it. Doesn't matter. I got a lot of the learning process there. And one thing that really made the difference on my first deal is that I appeal the appraisal report at the end when I was pulling the hillock out. That appeal raised the pricing that I was able to get $25,000. So the total was $68,000. And that $68,000, I was able to reinvest on my second deal. And then I found partners, started doing multiples at the same time. We went for three, five, until I was doing like 15 all at the same time. So that's how I got started. Andressa, that's that's amazing. I mean, you 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 covered so much just in a short period of time. Your story is so interesting. I mean, I think a lot of a lot of our listeners are kind of in the early stages of real estate investing, and so they can probably empathize with you a little bit with where where they're starting. But to fast forward to look at what you're doing right now, which we'll get to that point. But I think you just mentioned the last syndicated deal you did was 660 units. I mean, that's outstanding. Mm-hmm. But going back to kind of when you just first started, which is really what we want to focus on a little bit. Um, I love the simple fact that you said you with that first deal is mainly an educational based 
you know, deal where you took a lot from that that helped you be a more successful investor. And also, you mentioned a few points about being creative to make that deal make sense, right? You you mentioned you overpaid for it, but when you had that low appraisal or that appraisal came in below what you anticipated, you didn't just go with that and let that stop you, right? Mm-hmm. You were creative. You looked at ways that you could contest that appraisal and get that value where it needs to be and justify that. So mm-hmm. I just want to point that out to everyone that that is, you know, real estate, there's always obstacles. There's always, you know, roadblocks in every single deal. And it's almost like if you're, it's really problem solving is what it is, right? I think is when you can solve the problem and come up with a creative solution, that's really what allows you to be successful. Um, let's talk about a little bit more with with your transition from that first deal. I just want to hear a little bit more like, okay, you got that first deal done. That was in Philly. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Um, and then you started to scale up. It almost sounds like you've been doing this this 10x thing where you've just been growing probably 100x, you know, over time. But um, tell us a little bit more about those those next few deals. Like, how did you kind of, okay, you saw the writing on the wall. Real estate is awesome. That was a win. Made that happen. Mm-hmm. But then what? Sure, absolutely. So I just want to make it clear. That property, I bought it for, for the right price. I knew the market as a palm of my hand. And for all the listeners that are listening, stop wasting time looking at the properties. If you don't know the market as the palm of your hand, you've got to know the days on the market. I know today is a little crazy, right? Because it's very close to none. But look at the days on the market. The the property value as is and the property that sold sold the quickest. You don't need to reinvent the wheel. So when we came across that property, there's a funny story if you allow me to say how how did I got that did I get that deal? Please. It was a holiday. Labor Day weekend, right? And I was going to see the pro- different properties and that one came on the market. I knew I needed to see it. It came on the market on a Friday and I needed to see it like Saturday morning. And I called my realtor and I said, listen, I, I got to get inside this property as soon as possible. And he said, listen, it's Labor Day weekend. I'm going to the beach and let's schedule on Monday for you to see it. I knew, I knew I couldn't wait for that. And I said, Jack, I love you very much. I want to continue doing business with you, but I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to see that property tomorrow with or without you. And now it's your choice to come with me or do not come with me, but I'm seeing that property tomorrow. And based on what I'm seeing here, I'm putting a full price offer because I know the value of the property is much more. He's like, okay, but you got to be super early. I was like, that's fine. Got in, in and out, put a full price offer, got it accepted the same day, all good to go. A week later, the buyer wanted to back out because they got multiple offers from other investors um, higher than what I thought. I was like, cool, you got them, but you were under contract with me and here, here we go. <laughs> that property, I lived in that property, pull a HELOC out, reinvest the money, then moved out after two years so I couldn't pay capital gains, rented as an Airbnb for years and years until last year that I got a sweet deal, couldn't resist and let that go. So you made like full cycle in different, different strategies. So here's what I did with the money that I got out of that HELOC. $68,000 might not look a lot for a lot of people, depending on the market that you are. And I get that. 
But here's what I did. I partnered up with somebody else that had more experience than me. And my next deal was a burned out house. I just like, it needed everything. But that was a bigger project that I knew I couldn't do it myself because my eyes were not trained to catch all the stuff that was about to happen. So that partnership, I, I, I got a little bit out of the profit at the end, but again, it didn't matter. I was focusing on the learning process. But the value that I got from partner up with that investor, his experience now became my experience. And on that same block, we bought three other properties on the same year and start doing multiple projects at the same time. So for the listeners, don't let your funding situation hold you back from investing nor scaling. You got to leverage what you bring to the table. That's we right now and don't have a money problem. We have an inventory problem. So hunt for the deals that investors are looking for. That's that's what I would say for people that are getting started. That's where awesome. did you where did you find your partner? Because I mean that's one thing to to learn from them. Because obviously people who are here, you know, they've found us at Rent Retirement, but you know maybe they want to meet people in their local communities to you know, partner with to talk about, you know, just to partner with even, you know, if you're looking for somebody with funds. So where did you find yours and how have you continued finding? Because I'm assuming they're not the only partner you've ever had based on what we discussed you're doing. So how have you found partners as you've gone through your real estate journey? Yes, absolutely. And networking, it's part of doing real estate business, I would say. And I am an introvert. You might not look like, sound like, but I, I am. So it's really challenging for me to go to networking events and get to talk to a lot of people. But I made the commitment that I would like to make deeper connections with a couple of people that we were aligned. So I went to a local RIA right real estate association um and i recommend i don't know if meetup was a thing at that time but it is right now and i know that so look for associations local uh meetups investor community have 56 across the country and canada look for one of those and start making connections with people do not freaking partner up with people that you don't know what their their values are, where their goals are. You've got to align on the values and diversify on what you bring to the table. I think a lot of the mistakes that I made at the beginning was to partner up with, with people too quick. This particular uh partner was was a good was a good partnership that lasts for years and years until we didn't need to actually partner up anymore and we still we still friend up to to this day but not all my partnerships were like that Andrea, so you, you've covered so much just in the past 10 minutes so there, i'm taking a lot of notes of things i want to run through we, we talked about a heloc or you know move, moving that property to an airbnb <laughs> keeping your agent in check and making sure you're their priority over their beach day, obviously partnerships. Um, you know, so let's, I just want to touch on these a little bit in greater detail. You mentioned you make sure you find someone that has compatible values as you, I mean, how, how do you determine that? And when you say you jump into a partnership with someone too quick, you know, what, why is that? What are, what are you looking for in a partner and how do you vet someone? I think what we found a lot of times, and I, and I've been in this exact same situation that's been extremely costly, uh, mm -hmm. is having the, the wrong partners, uh, and everything goes good until it doesn't. And sometimes that's later, 
like down the road, you know what I mean? And so it kind of yeah. catches you off guard. So, I mean, how do, what is your recommendation for someone looking to find a partner? How do they vet them? And I think a lot of people jump into partnerships that maybe don't even actually need to in the beginning. So um, what, I, what's your opinion on that? I totally agree. I, I think the first thing that I would recommend people to do is like a state of, of the union, an inventory of what you bring to the table, who you are, what are your values, what you care about, and what are your goals, right? That needs to be very, very clear. And the worst thing that I would recommend somebody to do is to like announce, I'm looking for a partner. You're going to get so many people that are also looking for partners, but you guys don't, it's like a puzzle, right? You don't even know if you match. And you get very excited. People get very excited about like, oh, you want to rehab too? I want to do 10. Oh, me too. And then, oh, we're, we're good. Let's talk about the name of our LLC. Like it's too, too quick. And that normally happens in conferences, in real estate, um, local meetings where people get very excited to finally talk to somebody that they can understand each other. But that, that is too quick, too short. Right. So a couple of questions to ask yourself first, that needs to be clear and then ask the person, what, what do you value? What are how do you work? What are you looking for in the next three to five years? And I think that many people, when they partner up, they think about this lifelong partnership that is going to last forever. I would recommend do one deal together. Do one deal together, and then you go from there. Don't worry about naming or your LLC, your website, or, or all the nitty-gritty. Do one deal together. See if you guys are aligned. The most important thing that can happen on a deal is when things don't go as expected, how both partners are handling it. How, how does it work? Okay? I had a situation where uh, it was a new construction that we were doing multiples at the same time, Liz and Matt, my business partners, uh, we were uh, doing the project together and I was in charge of, of the construction as, as usual. And every Friday I did the report for the private lender and for everybody an update. And my bank account was not matching my spreadsheet. It was like, I'm missing 65,000. And I was like, and I cannot find it. Where is it here on my bank account? You start freaking out, right? Start freaking out saying, what, what, did I, what did I do here? Where did the money go? And I call them right away and say, listen, I just need your brain here, your eyes, because I'm missing something and I cannot figure that out. That was a Friday night at 10 p.m. In any moment, they question my integrity in any moment. They, they say, what the hell is going on here? This cannot happen. They went into a solution mode. They looked at the spreadsheet and they look at where, where things were, were since the beginning. We dissected everything. And we found out that I didn't take in consideration on my spreadsheet, the deposit that I have given to the general contractor. So the check that I gave him last had over 65,000. So then in my head, I was like, oh my gosh, now I need to call my general contractor and say, I overpay you 65 grand, which I did <laughs> Friday night. He goes, that's okay. <laughs> that's very nice of you. Uh <laughs> right. And then I was like, 
I don't know if I'm going to get that back, right? You never know. Well, it's He's probably, done. yeah, it's probably someone that you had worked with before. He appreciates that. That's also a partnership, right? I mean, even, exactly. even though that's, that's not a you know, written down co-ownership, that, that is a partner. Any, anything that you're doing business with people, that, that's a partnership. Right? Absolutely. So even wholesalers, you know, your, your subs, your GCs, everybody, your property right. managers, that's a partnership. A lot of people don't realize that, that I think a lot of uh, newer investors think that the management company is working for them, but it, mm -hmm. they really should be viewing it as a partnership. Yes, you're paying them, but, um, you know, that's just the best way to go about it. I, I love that. I want to jump to another topic just real quick, briefly sure. on this. You talked about a HELOC. One of the common questions we get is, okay, I have all this equity in my house. Should I pull out a HELOC and invest it with or invest with that? Obviously, you need to have a plan for that, but would, what's your opinion in general on HELOCs? I mean, there is such a thing as return on equity. Mm -hmm. um, is that something most people should be looking at doing or con at least considering? Well, it's all about the risk and the knowledge and who is involved, right? If you're going to pull it at what, three, three-ish percent right now, I don't, I didn't check what is the, the rate today. It's the but cheapest around, line of credit you'll get for sure. Right. Yeah. So it's available for you. And if you can buy a rental and just get the the cash flow that will pay that he'll lock back, it's no brainer uh, to me to do that. But pull that out and do nothing with it or spend the money into things they're not going to produce, then it's not a wise movement for me. But if you're leveraging you, the credit that is available to you, why not? We got to have a plan, plan exactly where, where you're going to park that, that money. I love it. How did you formulate your plan as you got started? You know, as you were thinking about your future in real estate, cause I know right now, you know, you talked about, you're not doing single families. So when did you, or as much at least, so when did you kind of map out how you were going to go about it? Cause at some point you had to say, you know, I'm, I'm not going to focus on this anymore. I'm going to go and focus on this. Where did mm -hmm. you, when did you find that and how did you go about doing it? Because that changes the people that you partner with as well. So how did you go about that process? I wish I had like a magic answer for you, but I, I, I don't. I think that as we evolve as people, as, as we grow, as real estate investors, we come across different people in our lives that are doing different things, that they think different, they act, and they are really living life in a different way. At the beginning, I thought... Right. I would like to rehab multiple at the same time. And I was quite very good at that because I created systems and processes in place that I was able to really duplicate and not have to create everything again. But I got to the point where, you know, like that hype that you get when you buy a house or where you sell a house. I was not getting that anymore. It was just a transaction to me. I was not even going to closing, neither when I bought it, neither when I saw, sold it. So there wasn't any excitement or fulfillment. So I knew that I needed to, to shift things around to projects that had more, more meaning and took less of my time. As I got older, had a son, got divorced, a lot of things in my personal life really changed it that affected the way that I lived my life and did business. So time became much more important to me. So everything that I do business 
every every project that I that I'm involved, I'm looking at how much of my time is taking, what is the impact in the neighborhood, in other people's lives. Does it matter? Is it cool? Is it a cool project? Have I done this before? I need to have something like that involved. Otherwise, I'm not, you know, interested. But at the beginning is the hustle, right? I needed to gain the skill set. So I did a lot of rehabs, got involved with Airbnb, did new construction, commercial development, which I love to death. I love a, a different project. But nowadays is really more in terms of the time. And and my business plan evolved, evolved. We created an entire community to support women in real estate called the Real Estate Investor, which takes a lot of my, my time and devotion too, but it's something that I'm very passionate about. Let's jump into that a little bit more because that's a that's a crucial point. I mean, um, you know, I, I think historically, and, and this is changing rapidly, but historically on the investment and construction side, maybe less on the retail side, but I mean, it's kind of a male-dominated field. Mm-hmm. Um, so, have you have you had any challenges? I mean, you're you are a pioneer in the space, mm-hmm. you know, for um, paving the path for for many other females to be very successful. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, is there any advice that you would give to uh, any of our female audience that is really looking to get into that space, or any any experiences you'd like to share? Yeah, absolutely. Well, Liz, Liz and I, we were meeting each other to support each other's business at the beginning. And uh, we didn't know where to go to get the support, right? When when we are in an environment where you're the only woman in the room, it's really intimidating to raise our hand and ask the question that we we want to ask. And many times other people have the same question, but we we run that in our head and we ended up not, not getting the support that we needed. So we couldn't find the community. We met through bigger pockets, but we couldn't find a community where we felt safe and, and open to raise our hand and get the support. So that's, that's why we founded the Real Estate Investor, where women can come, get the support they need and build a life on their own terms. We hear a lot of what we should do, and many times it doesn't fit our schedule or our desires. I hear this a lot in networking events. First question is, what's your name? Second question is, how many properties do you own? I don't care about that. And I, for the listeners that are listening right now, you don't get anything if the person says 10, 15, 1,000, 5,000. You don't get anything. Ask what books they're reading, what podcasts they're listening. What do they do? Because that's going to help you focus on their behavior. Not, don't worry about how many properties that person owns. That doesn't mean much, right? The number of doors is not equal to how good the cash flow is. What's really important is the cash flow, right? So focus on the behavior. Then you can really guess. I ask, like, what book have you read that you will recommend to read right now? Then that that changes things tremendously. And for for the women, same thing. Men, women doesn't really matter. Surround yourself with folks that are thinking in a in a way that you're like, oh, I don't even understand. You gotta be. You cannot be the smartest person in the room. So. Get, get comfortable being uncomfortable, I'll say. Yeah, and that's that's where you grow is getting outside of your comfort zone. And it, it's daunting, you know, and, and it, it takes a little bit, especially if you're introverted, that's okay. But you're taking that initiative. 
you know, surrounding yourself. And, by and, mm-hmm. and the beginning, uh, it's just funny, right? I'm five, four. English is not my first language. So when I walked into the rehab project, they didn't know who I was. So they're like, oh, are you the realtor? Are you the designer? Or where, where are, you? are you the wife? Right? It's, all, it's always the same thing. I was like, no, I'm the one writing your check. So <laughs> and now, now they know. Right. So, you know, <laughs> and we, we joke around it, right? And we joke around. It. I say in a, in a very like light way, but they 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 now know. Oh, well, here 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 she come, here comes. So, That's how you get the ma'am is when you say I write the checks. <laughs> so you know, right? You shouldn't be sleeping during lunchtime when I show up unannounced. Well, there you go. You could be secretive and you know make sure your your contractors are working hard. Um, how do you? How does one break into the? Because um, I assume you didn't go to school for development and construction, right? I did not. So how how do you? I mean, beyond just I mean, doing additional deals and you know meeting the right people, partners. I mean, how do you? How do you learn development in construction? And, sure. You know. Full disclosure, I can't swing a hammer. I cannot, right? Horrible with, with, with that. Uh, in 2014, you learn as you go. That's one way of learning, right? You, you, you're a sponge. I get a love talking to the contractors and seeing what it is. Like, I always give a heads up saying, listen, I'm going to ask a lot of questions, the whys behind it, not because I'm questioning you, just because I really want to learn and kind of understand the nitty gritty of it. And I really enjoy that, right? That's that's one, one way of doing. I also worked for a commercial developer, very, very seasoned, 75-year-old. What I learned from this guy, could, I, I think I, I should... I was being paid, but uh, I think I should have paid him for the knowledge that I gained uh, during during that time. But in 2015, I did um, a construction uh, course. It's a two year two year course. I started I started that. And it's in management in, in construction, and so it goes on the nitty gritty of all the the underwriting, the details of building from ground up. It was really 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 cool but there's nothing better than uh, the day-to-day. So I will partner up with somebody that knows exactly what they're doing and just get the education as we go. Excellent. What was the first construction or, or development project that you did? It was a uh, three, three, um, three single family side-by-side Got it. here in okay. Philadelphia. Yeah, we have um, one thing that we do is, is the build-to-rent model. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's probably about 30% of what we do with, with our investors. And so they um, sometimes, you know, we'll just w- with our builder partners, just build them and finance them and then they, they buy them. But in, in a lot of cases, they can participate in the uh, construction to some degree in the financing. So but one one thing that we've, we found out is that not everyone is a good fit, even though they're a good investor is not a good fit for being, you know, like that, uh, you know, having the oversight of the project, and <laughs> yeah. especially because all delays, right? And I, you can empathize with this completely. Like right now, it's just a crazy world with price escalations and materials and mm-hmm. delays. You know, we build a lot in Southwest Florida, permitting and um, health inspection. It's just crazy. And so it's like, you know, patience is, is key, but a lot of people don't understand that. No, and some partners, uh, they are better to be silent partners. And they go off the bat, say, you're not going to make one single call on this. 
are you okay with that or not? Before we even signed this agreement over here, no calls, no walk without me being there for liability purpose. You can, can do that. No, you know, like expectations, I think it's very, very important, especially how you're going to communicate, how often you're going to communicate with partners and private lenders. I think that's the key. You don't want to have somebody calling you about a project in a day to day basis. It's just Is not it done yet? Is it done yet? Yeah. <laughs> oh, come on. I wouldn't be able to. It's just yeah. like, oh, hold on a second, <laughs> right? And then you learn from it. If that, of course, that happened in the past. It's like, well, that does not work. So what can we put in place that works? But if you kind of like start balling up and just like freaking explode one day, they're like, what? What just happened? So all, all that, you know, it's just, as you said at the beginning, Real estate is just a people and problem solving business that has, you know, properties attached to it. But it, it, it truly, it truly is a problem solving. And I think that a lot of people get the wrong expectation because they watch a lot of HGTV mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> shows. Uh, so like, oh, I didn't expect that to happen. Well, many times it happens on a daily basis, right? Depending on the project is a lot of like putting up fires that you didn't expect it to happen. Yeah, and the and the problem is is not just oh what what type of shade do I want to use here or how much money do we really are we going to make right the the real problems are you know the the issues with the people and you know a lot of times like you mentioned that the partnerships and the contractors I mean there's just so much more to it so but obviously that's the dramatization of of TV series um, I have <laughs> I have one more thing Andres I really want to go through uh, earlier you mentioned that. Um, you know, that we don't have a money problem. We have an inventory problem, which obviously today's market has just been, and and maybe we should talk about that a little bit, kind of what your uh, expectation is for the next year to two or two. But also, I mean, my my question to you is, do do you think we really, obviously it's a seller's market. We can't find the same deals that we did a few years ago, but do we really have an inventory problem? Um, And what would you say to someone? Cause a lot of what you do is value add, you know, building, mm-hmm. creating that, that forced yeah. appreciation or equity. A lot of people, I mean, they're just considering, okay, do I buy at market value and just, just do that still? Um, if there's no value add, if it's a stabilized rental, you know, just to build as a passive investor to their portfolio, what would you say to, to those investors? And what do you think the market outlook is here? Well, let me look at my crystal ball over here. And my crystal ball says that two things, things are going to either stay the same or change one or another. I think I'll be right with with that. I think when we compare, right, we're comparing now with what we were used to do it before, then the frustration goes very, very high. Even with the value add, the number of like competitors and people that are putting offers uh, into the table and overpaying for things, I think that that's when the frustration comes in. Um, We had investors, I'll blame the New Yorkers here, coming (laughs) and messing things up. Because of course you're comparing the Philadelphia market with, with New York. You're like, oh, half a million for this, this, this property, that's nothing. And then they, you know, increase the, the, the value here. I don't know. Um, I think that even uh, we don't, I don't, I wouldn't say like um, 
that's a problem that's going to stay. I think it's in terms of volume, we're not seeing the same thing. And I think that the frustration comes that way. It, it means that you got to put more offers, you got to analyze more deals, and you're going to keep keep going. I will also idealize that time to make good connections with other investors, with lenders. Use that time. If you're not buying, you got to get educated. Use that time to educate yourself in the market, analyze the other markets. Your market might not be giving you the return that, that you want. Start analyzing other markets. And I will treat your local, um, even if you're investing locally, I will pretend they're out of state because that's how people are able to scale. What do you, what do you mean by that? I, I, I pretend all my properties are out of state. So I need a property management company. I, am, I will not be able to jump in and go there and fix whatever needs to be fixed. The tenant does not know who I am, will never know who I am. I'm not there. So I have other people that can handle it, even though I live close by. So I, I, I love that you said that because that's so important. A lot of our clients and our investors in, in our network are looking to, you know, they're, they're investing out of state because they just can't make the numbers work locally. But there's, there's this mental obstacle and this getting outside of your comfort zone to invest out of state. And, and my explanation is it's, it's the same process, just as you just mentioned, you know, whether a property, you don't really want a property to be two blocks away. You know, it's almost more mental anguish than if exactly. it was out of sight, out of mind. But regardless, you need the same people. You need the same systems in place, um, no matter where the property's at. So, hundred percent, completely agree with you. I wish somebody, you know, people would get that quicker, and then they could invest anywhere. It doesn't matter. Yeah, you're not limited. I love it. Right. Yeah. So when it comes to um, your Trailblazer um, project that you have, um, I'm curious because you uh, you rebrand these apartment complexes. In the name of some of the female pioneers, um, just out of curiosity, what made you start? <clears throat> sorry, what made you start doing that? And kind of who are the the people who you consider trailblazers on that front? Because I'm assuming that you're basing a lot of this off of the people who inspired you to kind of take charge as a woman and you know progress in your career. I saw yeah. Rosa Parks deal, right? That was yeah, uh, Rosa Parks uh, awesome. and uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I mean. We couldn't, women, not that long ago, 1960, around that, that time, meaning we couldn't open a bank account, own a property by ourselves. So I wouldn't be able to be doing what we are doing right now. So the Trailblazer Project is, is entirely funded and written by, by women. And we have, uh, the goal is to dedicate a couple of the units for women in transition. So partnerships with local nonprofits, to support the, the rent. So we were not missing the income there, but we support that woman during that transition period, whatever that, that looks like uh, for her and any children she might have. And we uh, the goal is to educate her financially as well so they can move move along. So it's all it's all about getting honor the, the honor, honoring the pioneers, supporting the the women that you need right now and changing, helping changing, change the, the legacy. I mean, that's, that's the passion aspect of it, right? Real estate is exciting, but you're attaching that to a larger vision. 
<laughs> and um, you know, creating you know more of that um, that larger scale philanthropic and you know um, initiative to have a higher impact for females in the space. So I just I just want to point that out too because that's we love that you're doing that. It's not real estate in my mind is not, and maybe in the beginning it is, right? It's all about the deals. It's all about getting the properties done and, you know, focusing on your own kind of financial picture, which is, which is okay. You're in that grind, but as you become more successful and, and uh, comfortable in the space, it opens up the opportunity to attach that to all sorts of larger, bigger picture items, which really is, I mean, really what is the why behind everything. I, you know, yes, you, we want to have financial independence for your family, but what, what is your larger contribution to society and what is your passion? Um, and that just goes hand in hand with real estate. I, I love that you've, you've built that. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Andressa, for joining us today. Once again, um, really appreciate your time. And the website is therealestateinvesther.com. Andressa, are there any final thoughts you want to leave with our listeners or any other websites you want to point them towards? Yeah, I just want to share very quick. We have our Investor Con, which is our first in-person conference dedicated for women in, in real estate. So all the listeners, men are totally welcome too. It's going to be a, an amazing two-day transformation event led by Kim Kiyosaki. And we have heavy keynotes coming in. And we are looking to create a life that you deserve, that you own. So I invite you to come June 23rd and 24th. The website is therealestateinvestor.com slash investhercon. Thank you All so right. much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, so the purple book uh, comes full circle and is now at your uh, your event. That's great. That's it great is. <laughs> so right? Actually, before we go, you mentioned earlier books. So what is one book that our listeners should be reading right now that you've read um, besides Rich Dad, Poor Dad? I would say Who, Not How by Dan Sullivan. And we're going to have somebody coming uh, on the um, at the conference to talk about that as well. So be who, not how. All right. Well, thank you so much again for joining us, everybody. Once again, the website is therealestateinvesther.com. You can check us out at renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com. If you have any questions for us, you can email us podcasts at renttoretirement.com. Really appreciate the time you spent educating yourself with us here today. Also appreciate you leaving us a podcast review on whatever podcast platform you use. And as we said before, don't forget to check out um, Andres's podcast, the uh, Real Estate Invest Her Show, which is part of the Bigger Pockets Network. Again, thank you for joining us. We'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Rent to Retirement Podcast, your number one resource for wealth building, real estate investing, and stress-free retirement strategies. Continue your real estate education and invest with us at renttoretirement.com.